This is a story about taking care of people. Is depression funny? With time, depression is funny. But from my experience of trying to open up about it too soon, I would say it needs a little time to, to breathe. It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. Movies and TV and commercials have kind of an incomplete way of portraying the experience of new parents. The baby is born, and it's instantly cute and pretty. The parents lose sleep, but in a fun and relatable way, and things pretty much work out great. But that often means that when things aren't working out great, say when postpartum depression shows up for the mom, that new mom can feel like she's failing, that she's a bad person. And that shame has built up so much in society that people don't talk nearly enough about those symptoms. My guest on this episode wants to change all that and talk about it. I am Angelina Spicer. I'm a stand-up comedian. I am a content creator, and now I'm an accidental activist. I now live in Burbank, California. Angelina Spicer has appeared in sketches on Conan and on Jimmy Kimmel Live. She gets a lot of work doing impressions of pop culture icons like Nicki Minaj and Beyonce and Tyra Banks. And she's done a lot of stand-up. Her big project now is a documentary she's making about her experiences with postpartum depression. Angelina grew up in Brooklyn, the daughter of Jimmy Spicer, one of the godfathers of old-school New York hip-hop. Are you young enough for hipster Brooklyn, or are you old enough for pre-hipster Brooklyn? Okay, we're not going to get into my age, but okay. what we all going to say is, <laughs> is that I'm familiar with both. Okay. okay. <laughs> Here's a word to describe Angelina Spicer. Driven. Driven to succeed, to achieve, to pursue her dreams. She graduated from Howard University, cum laude, and then moved to L.A., driven to be an actor. That was always the goal. That was the dream, was to not necessarily be on stage, but like to land a dramatic uh, series on CBS or NBC, you know, like a, a, a procedural drama. And I just felt like early in my career that when I would get those calls and get those auditions and book those jobs, that I just felt like Angelina was absent from the room. And like my bubbly, fun personality, like all of the, the the joyous things about me were gone, that I worked on this Disney series and they needed a, someone to play Tyra Banks. And I was like, okay, I mean, I look like Tyra. I, you know, I could kind of do an impression of her, but it wasn't anything that I like studied a long time to do. And I went in and I slam dunk like a Patrick Ewing, I'm dating myself now, Patrick <laughs> Ewing, like, hang from the, you know, hang from the rim, dunk. And uh, I booked it, you know, 10 minutes after I left the audition. And then that led to two years of consistent work with with this, with uh, the Disney show. It was called Electric Spoofaloo. Angelina develops a good list of credits because she's talented and because she works her ass off, striving, auditioning, networking. Making it in show business involves luck, sure, but it also means a lot of hard work. Angelina does all that. 
and she holds up okay. She gets married. Because my husband is white, I needed something to talk about at white parties, so I got a therapist. So, like, <laughs> I was going to therapy, but it wasn't—my depression wasn't anything that I couldn't, like, like exercise off. Like, it wasn't anything that I couldn't just, like, you know, plug in to my Buddhist monks and meditate and go for a run or go to a dance class and kind of sweat it out until I had a baby. That was like—that's when I felt like I was drowning. If you don't want to go to therapy, you can study up on Friends episodes, and that gets you through most white parties. <laughs> I would, I, or The I, Wire, you know if, you, if you know a lot about oh, The Wire. Oh, Lord, The Wire. <laughs> Jesus. My husband loves The Wire. Oh, I call him hashtag White Bay. Hashtag White Bay loves The Wire. He made me get it for him for uh the the whole uh, complete set. season the yeah. box set yes for his for, for the first uh, christmas that we were together i was like the wire and she's hustling striving she's driven to land the biggest of comedy jobs i was trying so hard to get uh, an audition for snl because again i was doing all this amazing character work developing my own characters and at that time that was what i really 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 loved doing was the characters um and i was trying hard to get an audition for it and that was at the time when like tiffany haddish went into audition and um leslie jones she was in that that mix of uh token black girls uh-huh. and uh And I couldn't I didn't get an audition like I missed it. And Kate McKinnon is a good friend of mine. And I, you know, I called Kate and I was like, Kate, can you please try? She was like, girl, get me the tape. I'll see what I can do. But we had missed the boat. So um, at that point, I was like, "Okay, White Bay, let's go ahead and have a baby. So, yeah, so I decided to to start my family then because, nice. yeah, it was good. It was, I was just like, okay, SNL is not going to happen because, you know, they're usually, it's like the Noah's Ark of comedy shows, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like we need two of everything, maybe two, like one and a half. She gets pregnant and does not slow down. Once I got pregnant, I was super excited. My, my husband was excited. Uh, but like you said, I'm super driven and I'm a worker. So I was determined to not let anyone know that I was growing a human being in my body until absolutely necessary. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, 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 I worked on a sketch, uh, not a sketch show, uh, a hidden camera show for E. I did a pilot for them, pregnant. Um, I shot four national commercials while pregnant but not showing. I also uh, was a trophy model for the American Music Awards wow! while pregnant and not showing. I was on stage with Diana Ross and Taylor Swift, four months pregnant. Google it if you want to. (laughs) But I was like, they will not know that I'm pregnant because they will think that I can't do my job. I found my light every single time, and I ended up in every one shot. So, you know, there's a picture of me, Taylor, and Diana Ross. (laughs) It looks like we're all friends on that stage that night. Well played. <laughs> and my baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we were all in the frame. It was to, like I was so close to Diana Ross on the stage while Taylor Swift was accepting her award that Taylor thought I was a celebrity accompanying, like who also presented. So she came over and ran and gave me a hug and was like, thank you so much. <laughs> it was like, I'm just here to carry the trophy, girl. 
So she's working hard, grinding, hustling, having fun, getting accidentally hugged by Taylor Swift. And then the baby shows up. And then the baby shows up and I was like, what's the return policy? Well, walk me through that. So so you you deliver the baby and like are the are the feelings are the the tough feelings do those show up immediately or does it take a the while? The panic showed up immediately okay. for me. I've heard from a lot of moms that they are in this moment of bliss when they have their babies sometimes. And then like a week later or two weeks later, like they go crashing. Those those emotions, those happy emotions just kind of go out the window. For me, it was immediate. I was scared. Angelina has a photo of herself in the delivery room. She hopes to share it one day. Hasn't yet. And I look horrified. I look like ex- I look exactly how I felt, which was, oh, my God, now I have to actually do this. And was that a surprise that you that you felt that way? Because you knew you were going to have to do this. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Practical. <laughs> um, yeah, I knew that I had to do it. It was just it's I don't know how to explain it to a man. It's just like you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like that was growing inside of me. And I'm the only person that can take care of this baby. Their only source of nutrition. I'm scared. I'm scared. I had been obviously going to the sonogram appointments and I knew that everything was happening and she was growing and my stomach is getting big. So I like, and we're preparing. We've had a baby shower. We have all the things at home. But it was just... It was scary for me. It was scary. The The amount of responsibility just like kicked in and kicked me in the gut. I was scared. And this is all in the delivery room, like right away? Yes, mm. right away, right away. And I didn't have permission to say that. I didn't feel like it was appropriate, you know? <laughs> but how do you say, like, I don't know. I just, oh, man, I don't, I, I, I didn't know that I could or would be afraid. Did you feel you had done it wrong? No, I didn't feel, I, I wasn't, in that moment, I wasn't comparing myself to any, anyone or anything or any preconceived notion. I just didn't know that I would be afraid. You know, it's almost like when you go on a roller coaster and it's like you're excited for the challenge you know you're going to be afraid, but you're ready to do it. It's like, all right, come on, let's go. But this, I was just like, this is exciting. This is great. Oh, my God. Wait, why do I feel like this? Whoa, whoa. Ah, whoa, 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 whoa. Can I get a do-over? Please. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. Like, I, just, I didn't know it was possible to be afraid once you had the baby. I had never heard anyone talk about being afraid of the responsibility and the gravity of that situation. I won't say anyone. I've heard men say that. But I feel like when I've heard it from them, they were speaking more from a practical point of view. Like, you know, now I have to, like, make sure that my family is taken care of and, like, the logistical things are, are, are done. And But I have never heard a mom articulate that she was just, like, just 
like immobile with fear when they laid her baby on her. And then we got home and it got worse. And we got it got worse because I felt like I was obviously I'm sleeping less and I start to hate my husband because that's what happens after you have a baby you start to hate your husband. You know, it's the first rule of fight club. You just hate him. <laughs> you know, so that just <laughs> I started to hate him. <laughs> and I started that's when the anxiety kicked in when we got home. Of like, oh, my God, is she breathing? Is she laying properly? And, you know, my daughter, again, I maybe I've just had my eyes and ears closed to mothers speaking about these kinds of things. But I had never heard anyone say that they watched their baby sleep. Like afraid that the baby was going to stop breathing. So that was my anxiety. I was like. First, I was like, when is she going to wake up? And like, should I set an alarm before she wakes up because the cries are jarring to me? Or should I just let her sleep until she wakes up? But then she was like grunting in her sleep. I never heard anyone tell, say anything about that. And then I Google it and like all these threads of forums are online about, you know, grunts in the sleep and babies making noises. And like, but all of those things contributed to the anxiety part of it. Right. And it that was not going away. Had you, I never know how I feel about this term, but had you bonded with the baby? Did you love the baby or was there something going wrong there too? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there was something going wrong. I, I just felt lumped it all in together. I just felt like the whole thing is wrong. Like the anxiety was just crippling. What was wrong? You say wrong. What was wrong? Well, she was grunting and, like, kept moving her knees to her chest all night. And I was afraid that either she was in pain and couldn't tell me or, like, I was doing the swaddles wrong. So she was, like, kept waking herself up. You know, I would say she had wrapper hands because she would be asleep and just start, like, busting a move with her (laughs) hands. And I was like, what in the world is going on? Why is she doing Busta Rhymes hands right now? Come on, baby, go to sleep. Stop moving. Her grandfather is Jimmy Spicer. I know. Her grandfather is right. Good point. (laughs) So she's doing rapper hands and like, like it's to the point that I recorded it on my phone to take it to the pediatrician. So that all contributed to it. And like, you know, and I, I, the cries just did it for me. The cries just ugh, drove me bonkers. So it was just a lot that I was trying to understand and a lot I was trying to process with no sleep and like my anxiety levels through the roof. I should note it's common for parents to have fear and to lose sleep. But Angelina's case was turning into something else. She wasn't just worried and tired. 
if you look at medical information about postpartum depression, they often draw a line between uh, baby blues and postpartum right. depression. And one is baby blues is supposedly just your chemicals readjusting and your hormones trying to even themselves out and it's lasts for a few days and then you're fine. What was your first clue that this was not that, that it was more of a disorder? I just, my my therapist warned me that at six weeks, your hormones do go through a second dip. And she warned me. She said, at six weeks, your mom needs to come back in town because your hormones might do another dip and you're at high risk for for depression. And I want you to be prepared for that. So you and your husband need some relief. You need some time to, to yourselves and to bond and da, da, da. And I was like, okay, fine. But I think it was when my mom left after that six-week checkup where I started to feel, not six-week checkup, but that at that six-week sort of milestone when I started to feel like this sucks and I don't see it getting any better. Hmm. Had you been feeling that way all the way through? I felt like if I just keep pushing, if I just keep, you know, Striving. if I set my alarms, yeah, if I set my alarms and, you know, I'm awake before her and I meal prep and I have some balance and, you know, I can go to dance class with the baby and, you know, just kind of bring pieces of my life back to back to me and include the baby, then I would work through it. I would be okay. But like all the remedies that worked before weren't working. Dance class, work wasn't working. You know, I w- I booked a, a, a CW show and I shot 16 episodes while my daughter was like two months old. So I was like pumping on set and bringing milk home. And I mean, that whole thing. And then she's awake at night and I'm not sleeping. And then it was just a mess. It was I don't I don't know of a of a certain point or like a light bulb moment where I was like I can't do this, but it was just progressively getting worse. I just felt like Gah, I'm I, I'm not getting a handle on this. As soon as she possibly could, Angelina got back up on stage doing stand-up. As comics, we work at night. You know, I work from like 5 or 6 p.m. until 1, 2 a.m. And my daughter is not like she'd be awake 30 minutes after I got in, after I got home. And then she'd wake up again. And then during the day, I'm at home with her until I go to work at night. And... You know, stand-up just provided so much of an outlet for me. It still does. And most comics will say this, like, without stand-up, you don't feel like you have a voice. You feel like someone is literally—they have your hand over over your mouth. Yeah. It's like the purest say, expression, people, people yes. say. Yeah. Yeah. So I just felt like I had gone through so much, and I had no way to process it. No way to, like— forget anybody else's experience like I had no way to like to just scream and just say like this sucks I just but on stage I could do that people would laugh or they wouldn't but whatever it got out you know (laughs) (laughs) know? 
But I didn't have the room or the space to do that. And when I tried, I just felt like I was drowning. So. And so when you went back to, to doing stand-up and doing this, you know, late, late schedule. I felt enormous pressure to, to show up and be present in clubs around L.A. You know, I, I'm not an A-lister. I'm not a national headliner. So you have to hustle. I'm still working the circuit. Yeah. You know, I'm still hustling and I'm still working the circuit. And everyone know, knows I have a baby, a new baby. So the expectation of a, of a female comic is that once you get married or once you have a baby or once you cross these huge milestones, you stop coming around. And that usually contributes to you not working anymore because people are like, oh, she's a mom now or she's a wife now or, you know, she her interests have changed or, you know, she's just not into it anymore. And I was really fighting to maintain my 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 work like I like to work, but I just it was physically and mentally, emotionally impossible at that time but I was I was I was really trying and you know I I I I say it's really similar to most women who are entrepreneurs or have their own schedule that women mothers who enjoy working whatever that is whether they're like a corporate executive or they, you know, travel for work or they are in a manager managerial position or whatever it is. If you are like high ranking at your office or like you have aspirations to be super successful, you enjoy your work. The transition to motherhood is harder, I think, you know, and I'm not I'm not dragging moms like stay at home moms or moms who want to be at home with their kids, I personally felt like I could not, like physically, like I just, I couldn't do it. But, you know, for moms who are workers, who like to to have their own career, and it's just harder for us to find that balance. Basically, Angelina Spicer was trying to do everything she used to do, still at full throttle, and also raise a baby, too, and be fully committed to that. It was too much. And it broke down. That's in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses, not just depression, all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying depression a bit, make it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It's serious. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation, but don't worry. MakeItOK.org is full of information that you can use. What to say, what not to say. And stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to MakeItOK.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. When last we left Angelina Spicer, she was a new mom and back on stage doing comedy, not sleeping much at all, stressed, anxious. She remembers one gig around this time at the comedy store in L.A. It did not go well. And I was making an attempt to talk about postpartum depression 
to 300 people who felt worried about me at the end of my set. Oh, boy. What did you say in that set? I said a lot of the same things that I say now, but the tone was different. It felt raw. It felt worrisome. It felt like, ooh, do we need to call someone? But that's where I was at the time. You know, it was it was hashtag too soon. It was. I, I shouldn't have been out there talking about that. And um, some people didn't believe me. A few select people were like, what? She has a baby? She looks too good to have a baby. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. Like, like you here I am losing <laughs> my mind. Right, right. Here I am losing my mind, making it up, whatever. Um, and then the next day I was up for, I got a call from the producers at American America's Got Talent. And they were interested in me being on that season and... I thought I was over the postpartum, obviously, because I'm talking about it on stage. So I'm good. I found the humor in it, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, my God, you sound amazing. You know, like, you're really funny. We checked out your content. Uh, Give us about an hour and we'll call you back. I ran off to um, a network test, which means that uh, for an MTV show or VH1, one of those networks. Uh, And after that. I was in therapy, so I missed the call from AGT. But in therapy, that day was when my therapist told me I needed to go check into a psych ward. Why did she say that? That's everyone's question. <laughs> and I'll admit, it is a trigger for me uh, to relive that moment. And I am going to include that in the documentary uh, and she, my therapist, Carol Olson, Dr. Olson, is also in the, in the documentary. But I was essentially describing my intrusive thoughts to her. No, I, I didn't explain them. I was apologizing for the intrusive thoughts that I was having. Intrusive thoughts are unwelcome, involuntary images or ideas that someone can't seem to get rid of. They're often violent or sexual or blasphemous in nature. So she's like, how are things going? And I'm like, I guess they're okay. I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And it was just like, whoa. And that's all I'll say on that. Okay. But I just started apologizing for what was going on in my mind, what I was seeing in my mind. And at that time, I didn't know that there was a thing called intrusive thoughts. It 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 wasn't until Those I started are scary to, too. Yeah, they're scary and they're varied. For some people, they're you know a sign of of um, a clear signal of of anxiety. For others, it's depression. For others, it's suicidal thoughts. For others, it's homicidal thoughts. For you know, for some, it's a warning sign that you know y- you need a timeout. Like it just varies, you know. But no one, again, no one ever said in plain English, there is a thing called intrusive thoughts. And it's okay because they're very common. And in fact, it means that you're not going to act on these thoughts or that these thoughts mean anything. It's just your your mind's way of, of sort of processing this. And they're scary, but they're not dangerous. 
they're dangerous when you hear voices and you're going to act according to the voices. You know, there's a fine line, but they're very common. But because I didn't know that 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 intrusive thoughts was a thing, I didn't know what was going on in my head. One and two, I didn't know who to ask if they had had intrusive thoughts, too. I'm like, I don't want to sound crazy. So I couldn't ask my mom or my girlfriends or anyone, you know, like, what do you do in that sense? What do you do? So you felt very, very guilty and you apologized. Yes, I felt very guilty. And I was trying to pray it away because I'm black and, you know, that's what black people tell you to do. Like, you <laughs> you know, like you depression, pray it away. You know, you got the gout, the HIV, pray it away. It's, yeah. God's going to take it. <laughs> you know, but, like it wasn't working. But I did try. Okay. I did try. You get the credit for effort. <laughs> right. Um, so did you did you go check yourself in straight away from there? I ran there. Do you hear me? I was like, there's a place where I can go and feel better? Sign me up. I put up, I put up no resistance whatsoever. All I saw was relief. Truly. I was like, there is some, there's a place that I can go and like, I don't have to see my daughter. I don't have to see my husband and everyone's going to survive and I get some sleep. Take me there. Yeah, man. I don't care how I'm going to pay for it, how I'm going to get there. Like, I will walk. I will walk. I will get one of those little scooters. I'll get a scooter, a rental bike on the street. I got to go. There's a place to go. Why didn't you say anything sooner? I love I love the visual of somebody on one of those little share scooters puttering yes. through the street on the way yes. to a mental hospital. Hell yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. I even it didn't have to be motorized. I would scoot my way. I'd give me a skateboard, honey. Hell yeah. I was like, what? There's somewhere to go? So what happened there? It was glorious. It was glorious. The psych ward was amazing. I could kick back. They prepared all my meals. They did all my laundry. You know, it was it was great. Everyone on my floor was super quiet. I wasn't 5150. Let me just make that clear. 5150 is the code used in California for involuntary psychiatric commitment. You know, you're quarantined. You're like, like super monitored. From what I've heard, it's a very triggering experience. I was in like the common cold section of the hospital. Okay. You know, I was scared. I was I was just scared of my thoughts, frankly. I was just, I was really afraid to be alone with my thoughts. I was like, where is the psychiatrist? Where is the doctor? Where You know, and the health system is not perfect. Psychiatric hospitals especially are not perfect. But and it took me a while to be seen by a doctor, but when I tell you, I felt so happy to be there. Was it mostly about rest or was it about uh, counseling or was it about meds? Like, what did they what did they do for you there? Well, for me, the reason the, the reason I went was to get rest and to be away from my daughter. Like, again, that's a that's a shitty thing to say, but I didn't want to be around her. 
And maybe that's the lack of bonding. Maybe that's the anxiety. Maybe that's the 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 the, the fear of, of like messing her up or the whatever it is. I just didn't want the responsibility anymore for a minute. I needed a break. That's why I went. Now, Dr. Olson t- now tells me that she sent me there so that I could be safe. Hmm. So you wouldn't hurt yourself? I don't know. Okay. But she said that I needed to be safe. You know, they, they, they had group therapy. They put me on a Zoloft regiment, which was great. I was happy to get some pills. Uh, and I rested. And that's pretty much all psychiatric hospitals do. But sign me up. Like, I need to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a chance to stop. Yes. And it sounds like you hadn't stopped pretty much your whole life. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Here's something I love about Angelina Spicer. She made a decision to take care of herself out of kindness to herself and to others. It's like on an airplane. Put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others. In the hospital, she learned what helped and what didn't. I found that the meetings on my floor were like a waste of time. You know, it was like group therapy with, you know, patients who are struggling with all types of depression. And, you know, depressed when people are depressed, especially when they're depressed in in the mental ward, they're not trying to talk. You know, they're not trying to like really articulate and communicate and engage with each other. So it was like, what are we doing here? So what I ended up doing was I found the rowdy crew upstairs that was a lot like Angelina. And they weren't being treated for drug addiction. They were in rehab. (laughs) And that's where I got the help I needed was in rehab. How so? Because we talked about those practical, tangible things like what was your plan when you left? You know, the, on my floor, they weren't talking about that. It was just like, so how are you feeling today? What is your plan for today? And are you planning on eating? Like, that was it. It was all just like here and now. But in rehab, it was all about your plan to stay sober, your plan to integrate your new, your tools of, of survival into your recovery once you leave. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I'm a worker. I came here to work. So, and I don't ever want to come back. (laughs) You know, this place is great, but I don't want to, I don't want to ever be in a position to where I need to come back to this hospital again. So give me the tools. Give me something I can really sink my teeth in. And rehab did it for me. Yeah. Was it the same idea of rehab? Like, because the addicts know it's going to be a war out there, that this whole thing is just getting started. But I felt the same way. That day by day, like, I'm going to get through today. No, it was. And listen, I I, thank God I've never struggled with with uh, with drug addiction. But so I don't know what to compare it to. But they were or at least the thing that resonated with me was the exit strategy. Like, what's your plan once you leave here? And how do you plan to stay sober? How do you plan to stay healthy? How do you plan to work and and integrate the tools you've you, you've attained here into your life outside? Maybe I missed the other part <laughs> of what you're asking, you know, but 
I just I just felt like there were there were way more tools upstairs in rehab than on the uh, you know on the depressed floor where I was living at the time. When Angelina left the hospital after ten days, she was hopeful but not cured. She wasn't what you'd call fine. That's not really how it works. It's a long journey. She was, however, a bit different. My mom says I was timid. And most of the listeners don't know me, but I ain't timid, okay? I, I come in with the energy. <laughs> right, I come in with the fire. <laughs> right, I come in, blade, guns blazing, you know. Like, that's me. So I was, I was, I was timid. I wasn't scared, or I wouldn't label it as, like, fear or, or, like, scared. I was just timid. I was scared, but I was afraid to hold my daughter. That I do remember. I remember the whole time I was in the psych ward, my mom, she flew in from Atlanta, and my husband visited me every day. Both of them did. And they would ask me, like, do you want us to bring the baby? And I was like, absolutely not. No. Even when I called them and my daughter, I would hear my daughter cry on the other line, I'd hang up the phone. I just couldn't. It was all a trigger to me. So, But I was afraid when I left there, I was afraid to hold her because I just didn't know if I would like it anymore. Like, I, you know, I was just like, man, up until this point, this has been like a really... It's just been so much anxiety and so much fear and and depression that I I just I'm like, am I going to ever like this? And she loves me. I know my daughter does. But like, why does she love me? So when did you hold her? In the lobby of the psych ward. That was when she was checking out. Back home, Angelina Spicer had help, which meant everything. It was great because my family really rallied around me and supported me. I didn't, and I didn't expect that. Uh, my mom left work when she got the call from Dr. Olson. She left work and came to, came directly to L.A. She went on, she got on a plane and came here. And my mom stayed for a month with the clothes she had on her back. So when I got out of the hospital, my mom was still there. And my mom was there, you know, as a support to my husband and to support my daughter, Ava, you know. So when I got out of the hospital, my mom didn't leave until we had another family member, another three family members tag teamed to come in and support me to ease the transition. What made you decide this is this is more than... You know, a a thing that I experienced on my own. I got to go out and tell people about this. I got to put comedy in this. I got to make a documentary. I got to, you know, I, I got to chase this thing. Again, okay, first of all, I'm a, like, I'm a creator. So I love to create my own work. I love to, you know, it's it's a part of my stand-up. It's a part of my, char- my character work. It's a part of my DNA, how I work, you know. I, I tell my own stories. So... Once I came out of the hospital and like went on my first solo mommy trip and got more comfortable telling people one on one, not in front of an audience, but one on one that I had postpartum depression 
and I was hospitalized for it. That's when I slowly started to incorporate it into my work. And I just started like just doing stuff like I'd started doing parodies about, you know, breastfeeding and, um, you know, straight out of stitches, like things that I had never seen anybody talking about before. I didn't know I was going to have stitches and what that would feel like in my perineum. Like I'd never knew. So like I started to tell those those superficial stories. And I say superficial because we don't hear them, but it's not the nitty gritty. And then slowly I started to peel back the onion. And then finally I felt brave enough to come out of the depression closet and tell people that I went to a psychiatric facility and that I was going to do something about it by way of creating a documentary and the support from my online community and moms everywhere was just overflowing and it's never stopped. Well, I think you should be celebrated for getting yourself better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to be there for, for yourself for and for your and daughter baby. and your husband and your mom. Absolutely. Thank you. Angelina, thank you so much for telling your story. This is really thank fantastic. You. And I think it should be an HBO special, too. I think oh. you should be up there telling your, your full story to everybody. But uh, HBO, did you hear that? You hear that, HBO? Or oh, Netflix, somebody. We've got a documentary coming. We need to, this message needs to be, <laughs> like, moms need to know it's okay. Yeah. It's normal to just not like it. And, and not be happy about it and be scared and be afraid and be anxious and depressed. Like, no one's saying that. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's saying that. Well, I think Netflix will listen to me because I am a subscriber. So... <laughs> And so is my brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> On our next episode, Mark Duplass has a word for those troublesome feelings. I call it the, the wooginess is my term for it that en encompasses depression and anxiety. I said, I know the woog is coming. The Hilarious World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Our digital producer is Christina Lopez. Phyllis Fletcher is our editor. Our intern is Ariana Wilson. 5150 is also the name of a Van Halen album, but not a very good one. Recording engineers for this episode, Sean Campbell at KPCC in Pasadena and John Miller. Technical director, Veronica Rodriguez. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting that conversation can be awkward, but Make It OK has tips on what to say, what not to say, stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. 
HilariousWorld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter. And hey, come visit us on Facebook. A lot of great conversation happening over there with your fellow Thwadballs. I'm John Moe. Bye now. says doc that's the problem what if i was to tell you i'm payachi this great big smile is just for show what if i was to tell you this is just grease paint would you say i'm a hopeless case say it ain't so I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know